All right, I'm going to be ministering. Let me first of all say this. I am apologizing to those who travel with me because this will be the second or the third time they've heard me minister on this. But this is the way I minister. I practice on you. And uh, I've been getting more and more revelation, and I just want to minister on the power of the cross. This is something that I've been ministering on, and it has been ministering to me, and I'm getting more revelation all of the time. And so uh, I know that the majority of you haven't heard this, but some of you that travel with me to my meetings have heard this a couple of times. And I just want to talk about how important the cross is and what it means to us. And of course, in a sense, this is a little hard to do because most people think, oh, I, I know about the cross of Jesus. But it's really become like a religious cliche to most people. Most people do not, I believe, mean the same thing when they refer to the cross that Paul was referring to. Matter of fact, when I was visiting with Arthur, one of the things that he's done by carrying this physical cross around the world is that most people saw it as something of of judgment and condemnation. And it's one of Arthur's goals is to show people that it's the love of God and it's about the goodness of God. There's a lot of negative connotation when people talk about the cross. And I think that we've lost some of the true meaning. Matter of fact, I can guarantee you that as we look at some of these scriptures. So there's a bunch of times in the New Testament that the cross is referred to. I think that there's something like uh, 15, 16 times that it's just referring to the physical implement that Jesus was crucified on. There are six different times that Jesus referred to taking up your cross and following me. And we could minister on that, but that's not what I want to focus on. That's talking about basically self-denial that you've got to deny yourself and follow Him regardless of uh, what it means to you. A cross is something that you die on. And so it's a way to die to your own self and to your own ambitions. I want to focus on what Paul referred to uh, by talking about the cross. And uh, there's ten different times that Paul used this referring to the cross. And then also he talked about, I am crucified with Christ, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. But we're going to go through and look at some of these. And uh, just as a teaser, one of the things I'm going to minister on this week is on hell. And some people wonder, what in the world does that have to do with the cross? If it wasn't for the cross, that's where all of us would be headed. And you know what? I was talking to Pastor Bob Yandy. As a matter of fact, I asked him if he would give me any of the messages that he's preached on hell because... Um, you know what? I've never taught on hell. I certainly believe in it. I've referred to it. Uh, but I preach on the goodness and the grace of God because that's what changed my life. But you know, the Scripture says, unto whomsoever much has been forgiven, uh, you know, he will love much. And I think that if we don't understand what we have been forgiven, what the penalty for sin was, and if we don't fully appreciate what Jesus did for us, then that's one of the reasons that people don't have the love and the devotion to the Lord. And even though I haven't gone out and done the sins that many people have done, God saved me at the age of eight. And I mean, I've been seeking God my entire life. I hadn't done it perfectly, but I've been trying to walk with God my entire life. And uh, I haven't done the sins that some of you have and the sins that some people consider to be terrible sins. And so some people would think I couldn't have a great appreciation for what I've been saved from. But I, when I had this encounter with the Lord, March the 23rd, 1968, I was a religious Pharisee. I was a hypocrite. And God needed to get that self-righteousness out of me and my trust and reliance in my goodness out of me. And so what He did, I don't even have the words to communicate this, but He just gave me a... He showed me His glory. And in the presence of His glory and purity, and power, I saw my ungodliness more than I think most rapists, murderers, sodomites, you want to name anything. I don't think that most people have seen themselves as sinful as I did. And so my point is, I may not have committed many of the outward acts that some other people did, but I was aware of my sin and my failure to God more than most people were and because of it. Man, I just, when I expected God to kill me and when He didn't kill me and He poured His love out in my life, I guarantee you I've never gotten over it. I have never gotten over it. I don't ever plan on getting over it. 
It'll be 44 years this March the 23rd when I had that experience. And I'm more excited about God today than I've ever been in my entire life. And I believe I can trace a lot of that to the fact that I recognize what God saved me from. And you know, I'm not advocating this, but I have studied revival and I have studied a lot of things. And one of the things that happened, like when Finney and many of these old-timey revivalists would travel and minister, you know, one of the things that they would do, again, I'm not advocating this, but they would go in and preach hell, fire, and damnation and the wrath of God and the judgment of God, everything that the grace of God is against. I'm not saying that that's the way to do it, but you know what that did? It made the people recognize what the payment for their sin would be and it got them so condemned that then, after a month of condemning the people, they would come in and start preaching on the grace of God and people would just start flocking to it and they'd get changed. And I'm not saying that that's the way it has to be done. I'm not sure that you have to put people under condemnation, but I do believe that we need to understand what we've been saved from. And so as I prayed about this, uh, Pastor Bob Yandian again was telling me that there's this new doctrine, I think you call it universalism or ultimate reconciliation where people don't even believe there is a hell or if there is a hell you're only in it for a brief period of time and then someday we'll all be reconciled to God, even the devil. Which, you know, even if that was true, who wants to go to hell for a little bit? <laughs> I just don't understand this. But nonetheless... I was praying about this and thinking, man, how in the world could this happen? And the Lord reminded me, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And then his next question was, when's the last time you preached on hell? And I had never preached on hell. I'd referred to it, but I never ministered on it. And so anyway, as we go through this series this week, I'm going to be talking about hell and what the cross saved us from and, and share some things because we've got to understand that even though God put Jesus in our path to stop us from going to hell, there was a terrible future for us and we've been redeemed from something. The cross is a pivotal, pivotal thing in every one of our lives and in the history of the world. And so we, uh, Anyway, I believe that this is going to be a blessing to you. Hopefully what I want to accomplish is just to show us how much God loves us to send His Son to die for us and everything He's done. This ought to make us so thankful for the grace of God to understand what Jesus did. And we're going to amplify the love of Jesus talking about what's been accomplished on the cross. Let me just go through, and if I can, I'm, this is a big order for me. But I'm going to try and read these ten verses with very little comment. And then we'll come back and... How come y'all are laughing? You act like you've heard me before. I don't really have much faith that this is going to work either. Amen. But that's my plan. Amen. Anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. Paul is writing to the Corinthians and basically trying to deal with the division that was in the body of Christ and he brought them back to the cross. And he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. You know what? I've already broken my commitment. But here, you've got to compare this with, look in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. To get the full impact of this, we need to see these other scriptures. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 21. Of course, Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Now put that together, 1 Corinthians 1.17. For Christ has sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. How do you make the cross of none effect? This over here says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, 
then Christ is dead in vain. In other words, the cross is made of none effect. You know what the cross, by putting these scriptures together, the cross is talking about that it is not through law, it is not through your performance, it's not through you atoning for your sins, but Jesus bore our sins on the cross and died for us and He made full payment. I'm trying not to preach on this. But it's important. Most people will say, oh yeah, Jesus paid for my sins on the cross. But in, but in practice, most people believe Jesus made a down payment for my sins on the cross. And that I also have to pay. It's like He put the down payment down, but you have to make the monthly installments. You have to live holy and you have to seek and you have to pray and study the Word and go to church and pay your tithes. And if you don't do all of these things then you're the one that makes the cross of none effect. No, what makes the cross of none effect is trusting in your goodness instead of recognizing that Jesus died because we couldn't pay for our sins. So I believe that when you're talking about the cross, you're talking about the fact that the law has ceased for the purpose of righteousness. We are no longer to relate to God based on our own goodness It's based on what Jesus did and He paid it all. He didn't pay a part of it. He paid all of it. And if you are preaching in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.17, if you are preaching water baptism as essential for your salvation, you make the cross of none effect. What does that mean? Water baptism is a command. He commanded us to go teach them to observe all things, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is a command. It's a good thing to do. It's a right thing to do. Something's wrong if a person doesn't get baptized because it's an act of obedience and a testimony that we have passed from death unto life. Matter of fact, I've heard in some of these other cultures that you know what? You can claim to be a Christian But it's only when you get water baptized that they will actually kick you out of their family and do things because that's what like finalizes it and makes it official. I believe it's important to be water baptized, but if you are preaching that you have to be water baptized in order to be born again, you make the cross of none effect. You make Jesus' atonement of none effect. You're saying He didn't pay it all. He only paid a portion and you've got to add to what Jesus did, your holiness. Those are some awesome statements. And you know what? It's not only water baptism, but there's people saying, oh yeah, Jesus paid for our sins, but you also have to do this and your holiness is required in order for God to love you and to answer your prayers and to move in your life. And what you're doing, you are making the cross of none effect by that. The atonement of Jesus has to stand alone. And the only thing we do to access what Jesus did for us is to humble ourselves and put faith in what He did and not faith in ourself. And if you take this as a definition of what the cross means, then I believe that the vast majority of our religion today is adding to what Jesus has done. Jesus isn't enough. We've also got to be holy. We've got to appease God's wrath. He's angry and displeased with us. And what that does, it makes the cross of none effect. And uh, also in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4, it basically says the same thing. Christ is become of none effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. That's the exact same thing. Christ is made of none effect. The cross of Christ, 1 Corinthians 1.17, should be made of none effect if you preach baptism. Over here in Galatians 5.4, if you are justified by the law... Christ is become a none effect. You know, this is an amazing statement. It's an amazing statement. Jesus is the greatest display of God's power to send Him to the earth, to come here and to do all that Jesus did. That is the greatest thing that God ever did for the earth. And yet you can make it of zero effect. You can totally negate what Jesus did. Most of religion would say the way you do that is if you don't live holy and if you don't uh, you know, follow this rule and this rule and this rule. 
These three verses that I've read to you say that it comes by us tacking on some requirement, some demand that you have to do this in order for God to be pleased with you. That's what makes Christ of none effect. Let me phrase it this way. You know, I believe the greatest sin of all, greater than homosexuality, adultery, lying, stealing, murder, or anything, is self-righteousness. I believe that's the greatest sin because what that does is say that, Jesus, you weren't enough. Did you know there are sodomites who know that they're wrong and yet they cry out and ask God for mercy? Did you know that that's not near as offensive to God as the person who is living a morally right life and yet they are thinking, Jesus, You know, I don't need you as much as this person over here. The old Pharisee syndrome. Thank you that I'm not like other men. I fast twice in the week. I pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin. Thank you that I'm not like this old publican over here. You know what? That Phariseeism and self-righteousness is worse than homosexuality or murder and anything because it's saying, Jesus, you aren't enough. There are adulterers. There are prostitutes that they know that they're wrong. And man, they believe that Jesus is the complete payment. They not have, may not have accepted it. They may not have yielded to it. But they aren't sitting there and putting themselves in a position equal to or above Jesus. The sin of self-righteousness, I believe, is worse than any other sin. And I've committed that. I think all of us have. And basically, religion is promoting this and saying that the cross of Christ is just where the thing started, but you have to complete it and you have to add to it. So anyway, I didn't get too far on that first one without commenting on it. In verse 18, this is 1 Corinthians 1, 18. It says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. You know, preaching, if you're talking about that Jesus died on a cross and you're talking about a wooden implement, that's not foolish, that's just a historical fact. That's how they crucified Jesus. But when you're talking about the preaching of the cross, when he says the preaching of the cross, what he's referring to is when you say that Jesus paid it all, that Jesus died for our sins, and he paid for them. You can't add to it. You can't do anything. All you can do is is negate it by trusting in yourself, or you have to put faith in him. When you're preaching the cross, now that doesn't make sense to the religious mind. The religious mind has been taught that we've got to earn the blessing of God. You know, I'm sure that many of you have done this, but when people come forward for prayer or something like that, you've probably heard this a hundred times. I have. People will say things like, Why hasn't God healed me? I'm doing everything I know to do. I pray. I fast. I do this. And by doing that, they are telling you why they are in that condition because they didn't point to what Jesus did for them on the cross. They're pointing to what they are doing. Most people's faith is in themselves instead of in a Savior. And that's the very reason that they get condemned too. See, not only does this help you to understand that Jesus paid it all and it takes this pressure off of you, but then when the devil starts condemning you, if all of your, your hope is placed in what Jesus did for you and not what you're doing for Him, you're free from condemnation. If you are condemned, if you are feeling unworthy, if you feel like, God, how could you ever use me? You are not putting your faith in the cross, in the atonement of what Jesus did. Thank you for that thunderous silence. There's many of you who are saying, well, man, I've been condemned and I've been discouraged, but I wouldn't have ever thought that. But that's what it is. You're looking at yourself. You're letting Satan beat you up over the way that you've been living and the things that you've done and you haven't been looking at what Jesus did for you. Man, the cross, He paid it all. He died. He didn't give a portion of it. He paid everything for you. And also, if you combine this verse, let's go back again, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Put that together with Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, is the power of God 
unto salvation. So Romans 1.16 says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And here it says the preaching of the cross is the power of God unto salvation. So I think that you can use those interchangeably. When you're talking about the cross, if you're using it the way that the Apostle Paul did, you're talking about the gospel. You're preaching that the good news is that it's not based on your performance. You couldn't save yourself. The Christian life isn't just improving yourself and promising you'll never mess up from this time on. Because even if you could do that, which you can't, well, what would you do with your past sins? You cannot ever atone for yourself. You can't ever appease the wrath of God. You couldn't pay for your sins. And basically, religion today is saying you have to pay for your sins through repentance, through uh, all kinds of things. I've actually met people. I've had people come to my meetings who pulled up their trousers and showed me their knees and then rolled up their sleeves and showed me scars on their elbows and hands. And in South America, in the Catholic Church, they literally crawled three miles over broken glass to do penance for their sins. Some of their friends were actually crucified and usually they will take them down before the person dies. But there are people that during the Lent season will actually die trying to do penance and atone for their sins. And we look at that and think how stupid this is because Jesus has already made that atonement. But did you know the same thing happens here? There's religious groups that during Lent you have to fast you have to do things to humble yourself and to abuse yourself and to beat yourself down. Again, there's nothing wrong with fasting and denying yourself things if you are doing it as a discipline upon yourself so that you can decrease the influence of your flesh. That's okay. But if you think that God demands that you have to fast or do something to in penance for your sins, then you are making void the cross of Christ. You're saying it wasn't enough, that I've got to add to it. And we look at the person that crawls over broken glass and think that's just terrible, that's religious, that's barbaric, that's, that's an offense to Jesus. It's just as much of an offense to Jesus the way that we have to go through our religious calisthenics to make God, to please God, and to earn something from Him. If you add anything to Jesus, you've just defiled Him. Even your goodness, or especially your goodness. Man, we've got to recognize that it is not based on anything that we've done. And that's the reason that God sent Jesus to die for us. When we're talking about the cross, we're talking about that Jesus paid it all. All. Not most of it. All of it. He paid it all. And if He paid it all, then you can't add to that. Anything you add, subtracts. Anything you add pollutes what Jesus did. What Jesus did for us was perfect. And it was complete. And for you to try and add to it defiles the whole thing. The only thing that we can do is just believe and receive or doubt and do without. But you cannot make... It, you can't improve on what Jesus did. And in a real sense, this is what religion is teaching, that we have to improve on it. He, he provided the basis of our relationship with God. You have to use Jesus to get in the front door. But then, to really please God, you've got to add to it your goodness and your holiness and all of these things. And what that does is defile it. Amen. You know, I was told this story that kind of illustrates this, but there was a pastor whose son wanted to go to the movies with his friend. And before the pastor had let him go, he says, well, what, what's it rated? And he says, well, it's, it's rated R, but it's really not a bad movie. It's just got a tiny bit of profanity in it and just a little bit of nudity. And it's, other than that, it's really a good movie. And the pastor says, no, you can't go. And he says, but dad, he says, it's only a little bit. It's not enough to hurt anybody. I know that this stuff is wrong. And he says, no, you can't do it. But in an effort to, you know, appease his son, he said, just invite your friends over to our house. So they all came over to his house and they were all playing over at his house. And he went in and made some brownies. And he went out to serve it to him, and he brought these brownies to him. And all the kids came running. They grabbed the brownies and he said, now before you eat it, let me just tell you that I put a little bit of dog poop in these brownies. 
says there's not enough in it to make you sick. You'll never taste it. It's okay, but I just want you to know I put a little bit of your dog poop in there. You know what? He got his message across loud and clear. Amen. And I can guarantee you all of your righteousness is like dog poop. All of your self-righteousness just doesn't add to, it distracts from what Jesus has done. And basically, the message of the church is that, oh yeah, Jesus died for your sins, but you have to add to it your goodness. And by doing that, you have defiled and lessened. Most of us don't fully appreciate, I believe, and understand what Jesus paid and how much he paid because the emphasis isn't on his payment. The emphasis is on our payment. It hasn't been a focal point. We look at it and think that the physical suffering, as bad as that is, I'm not trying to make light of that, but man, it was so much more than just the physical suffering on the cross. Jesus paid a huge price. Just coming into a physical body was a huge, huge sacrifice. I don't think we can even wrap our brain around that. But how does an infinite God, who the Bible says that He holds the universe in the palm of His hand. He holds the universe in the palm of His hand. How does a God that big fit into a physical body? Man, that's mind-blowing. There's a scripture that says that He spoke the sun out of His mouth. Think about a God who is so awesome that out of his mouth came this huge ball of fire that's millions of miles away and you can stand here and feel its heat. And that came out of his mouth. How does a God that does all of these things fit into a human body and be confined to one spot? And then on top of that, you walk past people that you created. You made them. And they don't even know who you are. They don't even look at you. They ignore you. Did you know that just being ignored in heaven, I don't know exactly how this is, but I could imagine that God can't go anywhere in heaven without being recognized. <laughs> I can just imagine that, man, there's a lot of excitement. You know, I've read some of these books of people who died, and they talk about that, you know, they all, all of the different things, and they just start saying, oh, man, the Master's coming today, and all of heaven stands at attention. I don't know what it's like, but I can guarantee you, God is worshipped and adored 24 hours a day in heaven, and then you come to earth, and you're ignored. Persecuted is one thing, but ignored to me is even worse than persecuted. He's just ignored. And he grows up and he sees people suffering and he knows that he came to bring healing to them, to bring deliverance to them, to overcome this hurt and pain, and yet he has to sit there and do nothing for 30 years. Watch people die. From everything we know, Joseph died. And Jesus didn't stop him from dying or raise him from the dead. He was seeing something in effect that he never intended for his creation. And yet he was in a position where he wasn't free to be himself and to do what he wanted to do. There's a lot more to Jesus coming to the earth than just dying on the cross, as bad as that is. But he suffered the entire time being in this body. And then he suffered all of the ridicule. He suffered being tired. Can you imagine it says in Isaiah chapter 40 that he doesn't get sleepy? He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get weary. And yet Jesus got tired and weary. He got hot. He got sweaty. I'm sure that he got sore when he worked and did things. That's just hard to imagine coming from God to being a man. Boy, the love of God is awesome to think that He would do that for us and live that way for 33 years. That's awesome. That is amazing. And then He suffered all of the rejection. He suffered the insults. 
spitting in his face, if you're really the Christ, prophesy. Tell us who we are. He could have told them everything about them. And he never did it. He could have justified himself, but he didn't come here for himself. He came here for us. You know, if for some reason we were God and we decided to redeem our creation the way he did, I guarantee you we wouldn't have gone about it the way he did. The Bible says that he was, there was no beauty in him. There was nothing to be desired. If I would have come to earth, I'd have been the best specimen of man that had ever walked on the face of the earth. I'd have been bigger, stronger, better looking than anybody else. And yet the Bible says there wasn't any beauty in him. He didn't defend himself. If I'd have risen from the dead, the first person I'd have appeared to wouldn't have been a demon-possessed woman, Mary Magdalene, who had had demons cast out. I'd have stood at the foot of Pilate's bed and have shook it. I'd have woke him up and said, Pilate, are your hands clean now? I'd have loved to have seen that reaction. I'd have gone to the guys that blindfolded him and said, prophesy if you're the Christ. I'd have said, let me tell you something. All he had to do was just kind of hover over Jerusalem. He had seen hundreds of thousands of people had seen him crucified. He was the focus of the feast. And yet he never did a thing to exalt and promote himself, even as risen Lord. He never appeared to anybody except people that were already believers. He could have made people believe. Man, the love that he had, the restraint that he had, it's just amazing. And did you know that throughout eternity, Jesus is still confined to a body? It's a glorified body, and he's able to walk into a, a room when the doors are shut. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but he's still got a body. God doesn't have a body. God is a spirit, John 4, 24, and yet Jesus became a man and is going to identify with us as a man throughout all eternity with a body that will have the print of the nails in it. Man, isn't that something? Awesome. And Jesus came and did all of that for us. And if you say, but you have to also be worthy or God won't answer your prayer or move in your life, you have just voided all that He's done. This is the power of the gospel. is talking about what He did for us and not what we have to do for Him. I believe that we should be living holy. But holiness is our response to what God did. It doesn't cause God to do things for us. God doesn't answer our prayers because I deserve it. He answers my prayer because I put faith in the name of Jesus. And it is not based on my goodness or any of my merit. And by understanding that, man, it releases the power of God. The power of God won't flow through you. It's like having, you know, an electrical current or something flow through things. And you could have this copper wiring that conducts electricity good, but then if you put a joint of wood in between and then hook it up to some more copper wiring, you're just going to lose the current because that wood doesn't conduct the current. Anytime you put yourself into this thing and you've got to somehow or another be a part of this and sure, Jesus died for your sins, but unless you are holy and do this and this and this, God won't bless you. You have just put yourself into that lineup and you, the current, the power of God doesn't flow through that. And when we start preaching that you've got to be holy in order for God to move in your life, You've got to live holy and do all of these things or God won't bless you. The moment you do that, you have just decreased and diminished the power of the gospel. And this is why so many people today aren't experiencing the benefits of the gospel. This is why Christ is made of none effect. Whosoever believe that they are justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. That doesn't mean that you've lost your salvation. It just means you aren't walking in grace. You aren't standing in what God did for you, but you are standing in your goodness and in your righteousness, and that pollutes the whole thing. That's like putting dog poop into the brownies. That's putting your righteousness into this mix. That's like putting you into this lineup. of It, it doesn't conduct the power. The power of God doesn't flow through that. If somehow or another we could just get people... I was listening to T.L. Osborne uh, 
deal. And T.L. Osborne was talking about how he saw all of these miracles come to pass. He was being interviewed. And basically, he says he... And I, I don't have the uh, recall to say the exact words, but he was saying he gets people to take their attention off of him and off of all of these other things that we establish in religion and he gets them to understand it's Jesus that heals. Jesus died for you. And if he can get the people to look into Jesus and put all of their faith in what he did for them, he says people just start being healed by the hundreds, by the thousands, interrupting his preaching. Did you know in our culture today, very seldom will you see something like that happen. Most of the time, we have to pump them up, give an invitation, have them come. We got to, oh, I feel the presence of God and you got to have the anointing on you or have a double portion night or do something to get the anointing flowing. But it ought to be that people are able to look at Jesus and just get healed. You know, two weeks ago, I was in Charlotte. We've got, I, I noticed, uh, Pastor Derry and Karen back here and squirrels here. And there were some people, Larry, Boze, Larry Bozeman was standing right in front of this guy who came forward to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, he had cataracts. One eye was completely blind and the other eye was mostly blind. So much so that he was walking and he couldn't see these speakers that were hanging down. And he was walking right into this speaker. And so Pastor Dean Melton grabbed him and took him around the speaker and had to lead him up here to stand. And anyway, I started giving instructions and... Uh, this guy just started praying in tongues really loud. And I started to say something, but I just felt like this guy was just really getting blessed by the Lord. He wasn't making a scene. He wasn't religious. He was just excited. And so I just walked down to the other end and kept praying. And Larry was standing right in front of him. And this guy, after a while, he started jumping up and down and saying, I can see, I can see. And his eyes were just opened up, totally blind. And his blind eyes were opened up. Nicola, were you there when that happened? And his blind eyes were opened up right there. And nobody prayed for him. Nobody did anything. But he just got his focus on the Lord. And I tell you, when you that's what I would love to see. That's what I'm wanting to see is to get to where people depend less and less on me and somehow or another we can divert them all to Jesus and just talk about that Jesus has already done it all, He's already paid for it all and that they don't have to come to me. And you know what? I've preached this. Matter of fact, I've preached this. I forget when it was, but it's been the last week or two I was someplace and I preached this exact thing and you do not have to come to me. And as soon as the service is over, they lined up and I prayed for them until midnight. <laughs> Nearly three hours, which I don't mind doing it. And I understand that lots of people just need Jesus in somebody. And I'm not saying that there's not a place for that, but it shouldn't be every person. Nearly every person, this is the way it is. That ought to be the exception rather than the rule. It ought to be people... But man, we in a sense have created a culture to where the power of God is all in me and we're preaching the anointing and we're preaching that I have fasted and I have prayed and I've got this anointing on me and I've got that. I'm telling you, we've got to get people to where somehow or another they see that it's what Jesus did for them on the cross. That God loves you and there isn't anything you can do about it. You can't make Him love you more. You can't make Him love you less. And if we could get that message across, then holiness would come, but it would be the byproduct of a relationship with God, not the way to relationship with God. Boy, that's big. I believe that holiness is important, but it is something that keeps my heart sensitive to God. It doesn't keep God sensitive to me. God loved me before I was worth loving. I'm still not worth loving in myself. He loved me before I cleaned my act up. And even now that I've cleaned my act up and I'm seeking God, I still got to depend upon the fact that it was what Jesus did on the cross for me and not what I'm doing for Him. And the moment you get your, the moment you transfer your focus away from what Jesus did on the cross to what you've done is when you make yourself vulnerable to the devil. The devil cannot accuse Jesus. He, he can't, hasn't got anything to criticize Jesus over. Jesus is 
all right. Amen. Everything about him is good. The only thing that Satan can do is condemn me. And if I was focused on the cross and if I understood the message of the cross, if I really understood the power of the cross, that it means Jesus paid it all because I couldn't pay it at all. And if Jesus paid it all, then all I've got to do is put my faith in Him. If I fully understood that, I would not be condemned. I would not be susceptible to sin. I'd be like Hebrews chapter 10 verse 2 says, I'd have no more conscience of sin. You could live your life totally free from a sin consciousness. You could enter into the presence of the Lord and instead of, Oh God, I'm so sorry I failed you again. And you feel like you've got to mention all of your sins real quickly before God does. If you mention them, then it's okay. But if you wait until God mentions them, you're in big trouble. That's the way most people do. That's the way I was taught to do in the Baptist church is to mention everything. You, God, we come before you so humbly today. God, we, we're sorry we've done this and you repent of all this. The Bible says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name for the Lord is good. It says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 that we can have boldness to enter into the throne of grace in time of need. Not when you've done everything right, but when you're struggling and when you have problems, you can have boldness to enter in. Why? Because of the cross. Because Jesus paid everything. It's already paid. Your sins have already been paid for. You do not have to pay for your sins. You don't have to pay anything. You know, the scripture talks about our sins were imputed unto us under the law. Sins imputed our sins. But now, sin is not imputed unto us, for we are not under the law, but under grace. And you know, this word impute is a word that we don't use a lot. It's kind of like an accounting term. But I think here's a good example of it. It's like a uh, credit card. When you give a credit card, you aren't paying for your purchase. And if you don't think that that's true, then when your credit card bill comes, don't pay and say, I've already paid and see how it goes. <laughs> when you give your credit card, you have not paid for that thing. What you did, you gave them information that allows them to impute it unto you. They put it on your account. They send it to your credit card company and then your credit card company sends you a bill and you have to pay that bill. But let's say that you were getting ready to put your credit card down for something and I walked up and I said, no, impute it unto me. And I gave my credit card. And if your transaction was imputed to my credit card, then would you pay anything? You might think, but I'm the one that got the benefit. You didn't even take it home. You don't even have the product. You aren't getting any benefit from it. I ought to pay something. Not if I've already paid for it. That would just be stupid for you to pay anything if I've already paid for it. And if the credit card company sent you something and said, well, somebody else paid for yours, but you know what? There's a 10% user fee. <laughs> You'd be right to protest it. That's wrong because it's already paid for. And actually, that's a, not a good comparison because the Bible says over in Isaiah chapter 40 that, I, that Jesus paid for our sins double. And I believe that that's just a hyperbole. I don't believe it's limited to double. I believe he paid a million times more than the sins of the whole world. One drop of Jesus' blood was worth more than all of the sin and unrighteousness of the entire earth. And for you to think, well, yes, Jesus paid, but I, I just am so broken over this then you don't fully understand how holy and how pure and how righteous Jesus was because He paid more. It would be like you buying something for $100 and I'd just come and say, here, here's a million dollars. Will that cover it? <laughs> Man, it more than covered it. Man, it's more than enough. You shouldn't ever have to pay anything. Jesus paid for our sins because we couldn't pay. It's all been imputed unto Him and our debt was imputed unto Him and all of His righteousness was imputed unto us. He didn't deserve our debt. We don't deserve His righteousness, but we are now the righteousness of God. And for us to go around with a sense of sin consciousness and unworthiness and feeling like, God, how could you use me? It's a denial of what happened on the cross. 
The cross was the great swap, the great exchange where He got all of our sin and we got all of His righteousness. We were made the righteousness of Him. And that is the power of the gospel. The cross, the message that Jesus paid it all is the power that sets people free. And the reason people aren't free in areas is because they haven't been hearing that Jesus paid it all. Like when it comes to sickness, there's many people that think, oh, I've got, you know, I'm not worthy of all of this. Uh, I just recently watched the Dowling's testimony. Some of you have seen that on our website, but this is Kevin and Rachel Dowling that were living on the streets of New York and eating out of garbage cans. And a Lutheran group of people fed them. And Kevin was in the home of this lady and she was telling him about salvation and he got born again. And so he told Rachel about it. And she was glad for him, but she says, but I don't deserve it. And man, the good news is that you don't get what you deserve. You don't deserve it. It's true that we don't deserve it. And anybody who thinks that they do deserve it, you use the law on them to show them their ungodliness and to knock this self-righteousness out of them so that they're laying flat of their back and the only way they can look is up. We don't deserve the goodness of God. But see, if you understand the cross, it, that's the reason that Jesus came and paid all of this is because He paid something that we couldn't pay. That is the power of the gospel. And it totally, you know, in the same way that if you adhere to your own goodness and your own righteousness, that makes the cross of none effect. Did you know that self-righteousness and religion and condemnation is made of no effect if you properly understand the cross? Your self-righteousness is useless when it comes to God. Again, there's still a purpose for you. It limits Satan's inroad into your life if you live a holy life. It makes your heart sensitive to God, but it doesn't make God's heart sensitive to you. All of that happened through what Jesus did. And man, that's what the cross is talking about. And it is the power of God unto salvation. Well, I covered two of these verses. <laughs> verse, this is Galatians chapter 5, verse 11. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I'm going to talk about that tomorrow. And I'll talk about what makes the cross offensive. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 12, As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. If you truly preach the cross of Christ that Jesus paid it all and it's not your goodness, you will be persecuted. Persecution, all sinners around the cross, the fact that you're preaching that Jesus paid it all. If you start preaching to people that you've got to be holy and unless you clean up your act, God won't move in your life. Nobody will persecute you for that. You know what? That's the way that the natural mind thinks. You only get what you deserve. And people understand that. They'll embrace it. But the natural mind cannot receive that everything is a gift and it comes by grace. And then the religious mind hates that because it says that all of your goodness doesn't give you a leg up on somebody else. And man, they will persecute you because in a sense, you're taking away from them their self-righteousness. In Galatians 6.13, it says, For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. You know, this is, a, this is a truth that Martin Luther that changed his life. In Romans chapter 3, verse 27, it says, Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Works? Nay, but by the law of faith. That verse changed Martin Luther's life, sparked the Protestant Reformation, has a huge impact on us still today. And you know what it was? The thing that stops you from boasting is when you understand the cross and that Jesus paid it all. And even if you've done something good, the only reason you have the desire to do anything good is because you humbled yourself and accepted what Jesus offered you. It all goes back to Jesus. He gets all of the credit. 
people that are promoting themselves. This Christian celebrityism is because people aren't putting all of their faith in the cross, what Jesus did. They think, God, what a great choice that you picked me. What a, how blessed you are to have me on your team. With my talents, with my abilities, I can understand why you chose me. God, what a great choice. I can guarantee you that person is into legalism, into thinking that it's something that they do, they are trusting in their own goodness, and that it's just the opposite. When you understand the cross, God forbid that I should glory in anything except what Jesus did for me. When we stand before the Lord, I don't think anybody's going to be handing Him their resume. Here you go. Boy, you're going to love what I've done for you. I can guarantee you, when, we stand, when you see the glory of God, I've only had a glimpse of the glory of God. You know, I don't talk about this a lot because some people, they just think that somehow or another this is something that every person can't have. But I just had a glimpse of the glory of God. And in, in the scripture, every time, like when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, he fell on his face. Oh God, depart from me. I'm a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He wasn't a terrible sinner compared to everybody else. Compared to everybody else, he was a minister. He was a godly man, but compared to God, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. When Peter saw that it was Jesus, he wrapped his coat around him because he recognized he was naked. I don't believe that means he was without any clothes. He just recognized that, man, this is the risen Christ. And immediately, there is a humility. Any person who's bragging about your accomplishments is a person that never has understood exactly what Jesus paid to redeem you. You think somehow or another he didn't have to spend as much to redeem you as he did somebody else because you were better. I tell you, when you understand the message of the cross and see what Jesus paid for you, it excludes boasting. It is excluded. By what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Man, you just quit glorying in anything except what Jesus did for you. Praise God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16, And that He might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Again, did you know if we understood that it wasn't based on your goodness, your performance, some virtue of yours, did you know that this would eliminate prejudice? He was talking specifically about the prejudice between Jew and Gentile, but it would eliminate prejudice between black and white. It would eliminate prejudice over men and women and just anything. All of these things, it's all based on all of these external things. And when you understand that every one of us was headed to hell and that that would have been our destination had it not have been for Jesus, you just get so thankful for Jesus and what He's done that it just... It breaks down these walls of partition. It'll make you reach out and embrace other people. Amen. I was raised in a denomination that, boy, you had to look a certain way. If a man's hair ever touched his collar, you went straight to hell. You could not pass go. You just go straight to hell. You know what? That... Well, you go to understanding what Jesus paid for us, you quit arguing over the length of your hair and over stuff like this. It's just not that big of a deal. Well, Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Philippians 3.18. Boy, this is powerful. I'm going to spend some time on this this week. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And it will absolutely shock you who the enemies of the cross of Christ are. We'll look in Philippians chapter 3 and see who they were. They weren't atheists. They weren't people of other religions. And they weren't just the Jews. These were Christians that were the enemies of the cross of Christ. Colossians 1.20, And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, 
By Him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. You know, you, many people will take this and talk about peace in many different ways, but this isn't talking about peace among men. This is like when the angel appeared and said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards man. This wasn't talking about peace among men. Jesus even said in the 10th chapter of the book of Matthew, He said, Think not, I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but division. A house will be divided. The father against the son, the son against the father, etc. Jesus did not come to bring peace among men. Now that's a byproduct and there have been peace and there have been wars that have ceased because people got right with God and started walking in the love of God. But those scriptures are talking about that this is peace between God and man. The war is over. i got a great teaching on that entitled, The War is Over. And Jesus made peace between us and the Father. God's not mad at us. He's not even in a bad mood. Man, God is at peace with us. There's been a peace treaty signed. It's the end of hostility. And yet, how many times do you go into a church and hear people get up and talk about, oh man, God was just on my case. I was miserable. God was doing this to me. It's not true. It says over in Isaiah chapter 54 and about verse 8 and 9, it says, For this is as the covenant, or this is as the waters of Noah unto me, for as I have sworn that I would never again be wroth, uh, destroy the earth with the flood, so have I sworn that I would never again be wroth with you nor rebuke you. God is never angry at you. He never rebukes you. Now, does that mean he'll never correct you? Man, God could just speak something to me and say, you know what? You aren't loving me. You aren't following me the way you should. And I guarantee you that'd break my heart. He'll motivate me. He does it through love and through kindness, but God is not angry at us. We have peace between us and God. Colossians 2.14 says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. Man, this is talking about the Old Testament law. The handwriting of ordinances has been nailed to the cross, and it is taken out of the way. And yet the vast majority of the body of Christ is still being preached the law and told that they have to perform and live up to a standard in order to be accepted with God. And we could go on and on. You know, Galatians chapter 3 talks about that uh, he became a curse for us when he hung on the cross. It doesn't uh, use the word cross, but it's talking about on the tree. First Peter chapter 2 verse 24, he took our sins in his own body on the tree. And there's a lot of other times that it's referred to. But all of this is talking about what Jesus did for us and not what we must do for him. And actually, the way that the body of Christ, religion, is preaching and using the cross today, they're using it in vain. It's like the way that a lot of people use the name of Jesus. They will sit there and say, I'm fasting, I'm praying, I'm doing everything. God, I have done this. Now you owe it to me. Move in the name of Jesus. That's, that's using the name of Jesus in vain. If you use the name of Jesus properly, you're saying, Father, because of who Jesus is, I claim no merit on my own, but I'm doing it through what Jesus accomplished for me on the cross. He paid for everything. My faith is in Him. He is my only claim to righteousness. That's what that is supposed to be meaning when you're saying, in the name of Jesus. And for you to list all of your goodness and then end within the name of Jesus is nothing but religious and it's taken the name of Jesus in vain. And we take the cross in vain. We talk about it. But very few people really put all of their faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross. Most of us use that as just a portion of it, a down payment. And now we've got to make up the rest by our own goodness. Man, that's the reason that the power of God isn't operating in our life more. When you understand how much that God has paid for you, it just sets you free. Satan can't condemn you. And you're like Teflon, nothing sticks. He can just throw accusation after accusation against you and it's just like, well, it was put on the cross. Jesus has paid for it. And he just can't condemn you and he can't get you to feeling unworthy because of what Jesus did.
Man, that's awesome. So all of this week, this is what I'm going to be emphasizing and just trying to talk about what it means that the cross and how that we should not glory in anything but the cross. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, this is something that we need to hear over and over. Like I said, there's some people that have traveled with me and this is your second or third time to hear me minister on this. But you know what? You need to hear this more because you don't hear this very much. And we live in a world that's all performance-based. Everything is performance-based. You can't listen to this message and then go out here and just speed on your way to the hotel and if the cop stops you, say, Hey, I just heard about the grace of God. Did you know that Jesus paid it all and so I don't have to pay? That cop will tell you, he'll just write you out a ticket and give it to you and you know what, you will have to pay. The cop's not going to treat you by grace. Your employer's not going to treat you by grace. Most of our mates don't treat us by grace. Everything in this world gives you what you deserve and when you mess up, people are quick to point it out There is rebuke, there's demerits, there's criticism, there's demotions. And just every time you mess up, it's pointed out. God isn't like that. Man, God put all of our mess ups on Jesus. It's all been paid for. He is looking at us through the cross. He is not upset with you in the least. God isn't disappointed with you. God thinks higher of you than you think of yourself. That is absolutely true. The Bible says He's rejoicing over us with dancing. He rejoices over us. And many of you can't even rejoice over the good things that God's been doing because we've got such a negative outlook on ourselves. Looking at all the things that haven't happened. Man, look how many good things have happened. Man, God's done some awesome things in our lives. I had somebody the other day, I was telling them about some things, and um, anyway, they said, so do you think you were slow learning this? Do you think you could have learned it quicker? Do you think you were delayed what God could do in your life? And I don't know. That's one of those questions that I don't know that there's any point really in trying to figure it out. I just am thankful that things are as good as they are. (laughs) I probably could have done things better, but you know what? I am just grateful I'm grateful that God has done so much good in my life. It could have been a lot worse. It might could have been better, but it could have been a lot worse. I can guarantee you that. Praise God. You ought to be praising God. You're still alive. You're breathing. God brought you to this conference, and I believe that this conference is going to literally impact your life. I believe you're going to leave here with a greater appreciation for God and what He did through Jesus than we've ever had before. I believe that it's going to make you more effective than you've ever been. Man, praise God. we got a lot to be praising God for. Again, instead of just analyzing ourselves so much, we ought to be focused on what Jesus did for us. All of our glory should be in the cross. And that's what I pray for us, is that God will transfer all of our attention towards the cross. Father, we just pray and we humble ourselves here tonight and we ask you, Father, I have no ability to explain all of these things with my words. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to just take these things and supernaturally reveal them to us, to come by revelation knowledge. Luke 24, 45, Then opened He their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. Father, I ask that you just open up our understanding and that a revelation of how you paid everything through Jesus comes to every one of us. Father, I pray that you would do things far beyond what I say in these meetings, what any of the speakers say. Father, we just pray that the Holy Spirit is here this week and just imparting revelation. Just a supernatural impartation that Father our hearts would be open up we would get a revelation Father just like you did for me in 1968 in a moment you just showed me my relative unworthiness and showed me the goodness and the glory of God Father I pray that you would impart these things to people here tonight 
that we would see this and recognize what a great salvation we have. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Holy Spirit, we welcome it. We desire it. We want to know. We want to know what Jesus did for us more. We want it to be a greater revelation. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we love you and we honor you. We thank you for what you've done and we want to know you more. Just like Moses said, after all of those mighty miracles and bringing people through the Red Sea, he says, I want to know you. Father, we still want to know you more. We want to see and appreciate that you've paid it all so that we will quit bearing the burden ourselves, And we want to cast all of our care over on you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. I feel that the Lord is just ministering to people right now that some of you came here. You've been beat up. People have been criticizing you. The devil's been on your case. And you've been on your case. And you have just beat yourself up. And you know what? Maybe you haven't done everything right. God still loves you. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't make Him love you more. You can't make Him love you less. He loves you because of what Jesus did for you. And right now, I believe that God is just lifting and taking away this guilt and this condemnation and the shame. The Bible says to cast all of your care over upon Him because He cares for you. And you just need to cast all of this shame and all of your guilt, all of the things that you've done over on Jesus and let... God love you because He is love, not because you're lovely. Thank you, Father. I believe that God is ministering to people right now, just setting you free from this shame, from your guilt, your condemnation. Father, I thank you, and I believe that you are removing this from people here tonight. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, we agree and we receive it in Jesus' mighty name.